Hello, and welcome to By Association, a new podcast from the Illinois Soybean Association. I'm Rachel Peabody. And I'm Betsy Osman. And today we'll be talking to Jack Mark, the Managing Director of the Illinois AgTech Accelerator. Recently, Jack has been working to create new systems for establishing ag data standards and sharing that information across industry stakeholders in an effort to increase collaboration around ag data collection, security, and management. Welcome, Jack. So Jack, tell us what you do in one sentence. I work with early stage companies in the ag and food space to help them navigate their go-to-market strategies as they commercialize their products. I like that. That's concise. That's super concise. I don't even think I could explain my role that clearly. (laughs) And I'm curious, I'll go ahead and toss out the next question. Jack, you know, that's such a worthy mission, I feel like, and something that the agriculture industry desperately needs, somebody at that front end of the process. How did you find yourself in the career that you're in? Uh, accidentally, actually. Um, so I kind of uh, I kind of approached uh, agriculture or, or ended up in, in ag technologies com- completely by accident. I was actually working for a company that makes radio controlled airplanes. And this was when drones in the early days of drones, pre part 107, where there was really kind of the Wild West, and nobody's really sure what was going to happen. But there were a few folks that were pretty confident that drones were going to have a significant impact in agriculture within, frankly, a couple of years at the time. And this would have been probably 2012, 2013. That sort of adoption of drone technology took a little longer than we thought. And, and kind of along the way, I ended up working for an, an ag startup in Champaign, Agrable, and uh, on a drone product that they were developing and then moved over to a digital agronomy tool. And then when Agrable was acquired by Nutrien, I was the product manager at Nutrien for a couple of years. And worked on some some data engineering projects there, as well as as well as some kind of more agronomy related projects, and then the opportunity to kind of jump back into the startup world presented itself, and and I jumped at it. I started with Generator in October of 2020, and and I've been there ever since. We have been hearing a lot over the past several months about your work with the IEEE Standard Association. Tell us a little bit about. All of that that yeah. you guys are doing together, and and why? Where yeah. you guys identified a need? So, so I think whenever you talk to somebody who's kind of a, a passionate, mission driven, and I don't know that I check all of those boxes, but a lot of times you'll find this personal experience that they had that inspired them to take on a challenging problem. And uh, so, I mentioned before that I worked on I've, I've worked on 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 data engineering, data science projects, and agriculture more from a project management side than directly working with the data. And one of the things on the project management side that I think, and the data scientists and and actual data engineers, I I think tend to experience this more, but certainly from a project management standpoint, one of the things that was a constant challenge was taking data from multiple sources and coordinating that data into a single place to try to understand what's really going on. So a really good example of this would be if you're trying to understand crop performance or variety performance or you know the impact of a, of a particular crop protection or crop other input product on a field, one of the things that you have to have is the variety that was planted, when it was planted, what the, happened over the course of the season, and then what the ultimate yield was at the end of the season. And you're going to get that information from a half a dozen different sources, but what two or three different sources at a minimum uh, in most cases, and you're trying to synthesize all of that. And in some cases, there's you know different ways that that data is represented. And, and the really unfortunate thing is that to date, 
a lot of this information has had to be input by a farmer and they don't necessarily do it the day that it happens. So then three or four or five or six months later, when they're trying to update their farm records, they're trying to remember what happened and they're going on, you know, a notebook or, you know, trying to pull it in from another system to get it entered into this other system because maybe they don't talk to each other. And at the heart of all of this is, is this lack of compatibility when it comes to ag information, whether that's machine data on-farm practices, or even a farmer's observations, scouting notes and things like that. And so I, I found that this was a rather frustrating situation. I just kind of started to, to circulate that. And then I was approached by IEEE about it. And I jumped at the opportunity to work with them. They're a phenomenal standards organization. And the technology that we're using to do this right now is actually the backbone that enables this is an IEEE standard. A lot of people don't realize that, but the reason why you can walk into a coffee shop without having to worry about what Wi-Fi equipment they have there is because the way the computers talk to the internet over Wi-Fi is an IEEE standard. So like how amazing would that be if the flow of information in agriculture was that easy where you didn't have to worry about what piece of equipment you have or what piece of equipment somebody else has or your agronomist or crop consultant or whatever. You just show up and it works. And I would love to say we'll get there in 18 months, but we'll probably be more like four or five years. And, and even that might be optimistic, but we're taking the very first steps. And we've had some really fruitful conversations around that with other groups, including Ag Gateway and some other organizations that are also very interested in this. And so I think there's an enormous amount of interest in being able to have foundational information. So this is not proprietary things like a rock, like a like a product recommendation or something like that. We're talking about fundamental on-farm data that is, for all intents and purposes, either provided by the farmer or publicly available. So we're not talking about like proprietary algorithms or anything like that. We we're, we're really just focused on being able to have that core on-farm information shared across all the technologies and systems that a farmer uses so that farmers don't have to be a data scientists and data engineers on top of everything else that they're doing. And so a standard would go a long way to doing that. And we're not actually working on that standard. We're trying to, at least in these first steps, get an understanding of what the landscape looks like so that we can intelligently put that standard together without stepping on other people's toes. There's a lot of other interest in this. And the last thing that we want to do is add our voices, chaotic shouting match. You know, the partnerships and people that we talk to, this is one of the most encouraging things. Nobody is really trying to draw boundaries and turf wars and things like that. Everybody is interested in the outcome, which is how do we make technology more accessible? How do we make it easier for the consumers of those technologies to use them and to support them? Obviously, you have to put some information in to get information out. How do we protect that information in the way that it needs to be protected uh, in order for people to trust the system? If we can solve those three things, if we're, if we're sort of obsessed, if you will, over those three things, we'll end up with a with an outcome that everybody can live with. So that's that's the hope. Jack, I know that, you know, you've been working in this space for quite some time, but it really kind of got put on the checkoffs radar last spring at a strategy event we had at the I Hotel there in Champaign. And we were starting to talk about, you know, like, what are these next big discussions in ag that we need to be having? And I know at the time, our farmers had a lot of interest in this particular idea. You know, I think from a soybean farmer perspective, you know, why do you think it's important that their soy checkoff is engaged with you in elevating this particular topic and having this discussion? I think part of it is the farmers have can get information from a, a number of different sources. And I think the, the checkoff organization is kind of unique in that it's it exists explicitly and solely to support the soybean producer. And so I think every voice needs to have a seat at the table when you're talking about a standard or a solution like this, because otherwise you end up with a fragmented system that is no better or possibly even worse 
<laughs> than what she started with. And so I think ISA has a has a critical role to play in this in that it lends a unique influence. Um, obviously, you know, there are there are private companies that work extensively with ag information, collecting it, processing it, et cetera. But I think there's also a lot of value in having an organization like the checkoff at the table as well to provide that that sort of producer focused voice that sort of helps to make sure that all of the priorities are are on the table and that the problem can be approached in a more comprehensive way. You know, so I think it facilitates a lot of collaboration for an organization like ISA to, to participate in the in, in the conversation. I'm curious, and apart from um, these critical and very meaningful conversations around stat standards in data collection, what are some other things over at the accelerator that are that are big priorities for you or maybe things that are next? For you. So I think this is something that agriculture that's relevant for Champaign County, which is where you know our program is based on. That is, you know, being able to provide to bring value for the accelerator, be able to bring value from around the world, to be able to bring value to you know the, the soybean fields that are a hundred feet away from our from my backyard. That's a priority for us. Our our subject matter kind of expands all the way from global sourcing for ingredients that can't be grown in the United States, right down to even more abstract, further up the value chain, what are the kind of bioscience technologies that are at the very early stages of trickling into the uh, products that, that could be available, not in the next 24 months, but maybe in the next 36, you know, you, you're looking at a multi-year kind of horizon. And so what we're actually in the process of doing just this week is in selecting the five companies that we're going to be moving forward with for our next 12-week program. And so we work with these companies over a period of time. We have a seven-week version of this and a 12-week version. So we're getting ready to do the longer 12-week version that will kick off at the end of March. And the companies that we're looking at, we're trying to look at maintaining that sort of balanced portfolio of products that can have an impact on broad acre crop. How do we bring value to the central Illinois farmer? But then also, how do we leverage that sort of broader global network that we have impact potentially other areas that are a little bit less relevant for that for that producer. So what we end up with is this really exciting dynamic group of five companies that have the potential in the past we've seen groups in a single group of five that do everything from food ingredients to crop protection and even across a variety of crops too. So we've worked with companies that have a crop protection product for pineapple and we don't grow a lot of pineapple in champagne. <laughs> but obviously you know as we kind of look at that whole ag and food industry, you know, we touch a lot of different segments of it. So I'm kind of excited. We're kind of, we're in the early stages. Like I said, we haven't totally nailed everything down. We're looking to do that this week, um, but we'll most likely end up with another kind of that sort of same diverse range. So probably out of the five, there'll be a couple of companies that um, have the opportunity to have an impact here. And then there'll be a few that'll be a little less relevant. How are, how are the five uh, startups chosen? What's that process? You, know, you and I were kind of talking earlier about how do you take a complex decision mm -hmm. and come up with a simple solution mm -hmm. from a complex problem set? Trying to pick a startup that has a good chance of success, I, I think would sort of be like betting on a racehorse when it was a when, when it's a foal <laughs> or a colt. So sure. you there's some element of well, you know, you look at this lineage. Do the founders have experience doing this mm -hmm. before? So that's something we'll take a look mm -hmm. at. You know, we'll also look at the problem that they're trying to solve, is mm -hmm. it big enough to mm -hmm. warrant a venture investment? So mm -hmm. venture mm -hmm. venture investment, there's a lot of different ways to fund mm -hmm. your business, just like there's a lot of different ways to fund any operation. And the funding that you choose can actually have a significant impact on your overall corporate strategy going forward, sure. right? So if you're grant funded, sure. you're going to grow, you're going to set up a strategy that works well for grants. Mm -hmm. If you're 
using bank loans or if you're using federal money or if you're using venture capital, like all of those things are going to have an influence on your corporate strategy. It would be a, a mistake for us to take a company that is strictly focused on, say, research grants and no commercialization. They're never going to be able to deliver mm -hmm. the kinds of returns on, on venture. They're un unlikely to ever deliver the kinds of returns that venture capital would expect. So there's some business model alignment. And then we also take a look at, I've, I've had some conversations with some of the companies that we're talking to right now. I've had conversations with their investors and their customers. So you tell me that you're an amazing person or amazing company. Mm -hmm. Can I validate that with other people that know you? Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we look at a lot of those things. And, and there's some things too that we look at that in some ways, as intrusive as it sounds, it would be a little bit like if someone, if you were to apply for a job and one of the things that they would want to do is take a take a look around your house. Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> and we, we, we do a little bit of that. So we're not going in anybody's home. Sure. But, sure. but we do a little bit of that of sort of like, okay, well, so you have this business that's focused on this particular science, technology, software, whatever. Mm -hmm. But what about the rest of your quote unquote house? Right. So so what about your legal structure? What mm -hmm. about your, you know, finance and accounting? Sure. Like, are you actually like, do you actually have an appreciation for what it means to run the business side of a business, not mm -hmm. just the science or the mm -hmm. business development or customer relationship mm -hmm. side of the business? And mm -hmm. threats to early stage companies come from every direction. There is no getting away from those threats or risks. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. there's just, there's no way to sort of, to eliminate those. So what we're actually looking for is how well has a founder navigated that, right? So mm -hmm. if you're looking for a really good ship captain to navigate a, you know, a bay full of reefs and shipwrecks mm -hmm. uh, you know it's not a question of whether or not they will encounter an obstacle it's what happens when they do they and sure. and so that's that's really kind of how um that's at the very heart of what we get into some of it's quantitative we'll look at numbers and trends and things like that but for the companies that we're looking at that are you know less than four years old they don't really have years of consistent data that you can go off sure. of. And so that's part of the risk on our end that we're we're accepting when we step into a relationship like this with a company. But what we're really looking for are those people that can that can really navigate mm -hmm. successfully mm -hmm. kind of the, the many things get thrown at them. Mm -hmm. And then we proceed for 12 weeks to throw a bunch of new things at them. So <laughs> love it. Jack, I mean, obviously the work that you guys are doing is very inspired and there's a great end goal in mind and it, it could be transformational in agriculture, you know, when you get this done. And that's so exciting. You work on inspiring work. So I'm curious who inspires you personally? I, I end up inspired from really unexpected places. So most most recently I've been working on it's Pinewood Derby season and I got two kids, one kid that's in scouts this year and another one that's doing a sibling race. So we've been building two cars basically this year. And they both had a lot of tenacity. They both took on really challenging projects. They both had a lot of tenacity and it's fascinating to watch. And if, if you have kids like there's this, this unique thing where you get the opportunity to watch someone else learn about the world in a way that in some ways is similar to how I learned about the world. Obviously I'm parenting and at least many of the same ways that I was raised, doing a few things differently, but uh, kind of being able to watch the way that somebody else observes things for the first time gives me the opportunity to sort of almost see what it's like to observe it for the first time again. And so that sort of curiosity, uh, my eight-year-old has a tendency to jump to conclusions, which I do as well, so I know exactly where he gets that from. But <laughs> 
but balancing that and realizing that, especially as I'm kind of like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't jump to that conclusion so quickly. And then what's inspiring about that, ironically, is I'll say the same thing to myself the next day. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't jump to that conclusion so quickly. <laughs> so I would say my kids are a constant source of, of inspiration and, and, and fresh thinking because that's exactly how they are, are approaching the world right now. I see this in the investors that we work with. So we have a, I'll actually throw in a, a couple of more specific names. So the partners at Sarah Ventures, who are key financial supporter for our program, they've been doing this in the venture capital since they've been doing this for a number of years. They had some success with some ag startups, including Agribol, the one that I worked at, and then turned their focus a couple of years ago specifically to look at agriculture. So they're investing out of an ag-specific fund right now. And one of the things that's inspiring about them is that they truly are hands-on investors. And so understanding how to help founders navigate, not just the things that people know, like I think that are sort of known outside the startup world, which is sort of the big swings of success and failure and whatnot, but the the really kind of like gut-wrenching moments where you're trying to figure out how to make payroll and certain, you know, some investors might sort of say, well, we'll just write that one off and all well. They're investors in the companies, but they don't, they don't get paid extra for spending a weekend to help a founder, you know, navigate some of this stuff. And they do it without, frankly, it seems like without even really thinking about it. And it's just sort of, you know, what they view as being their obligation to the people that they've committed to support. And so so that's inspiring. And then I've been very fortunate to, to land with an organization that has taken a similar approach to this in Generator. And the founders at Generator have been visionary for over a decade now, have really been visionary in that, you know, let's let's flip the card a little bit about where you would expect to find high returns, promising entrepreneurs, and venture-backable companies. And so Generator operates accelerators in places where when you go down the list of places you would expect to find strong venture-backable companies, which, uh, you know, frankly, up until relatively recently, you have San Francisco, New York, and if you're in the biotech space, maybe Boston, and that's about it. And there's a whole lot more to the United States than those three cities. Not that they don't do great work there, but we do great work, frankly, here in Champaign as well. And so Generator has really kind of flipped that paradigm a little bit and said, well, let's find entrepreneurs everywhere instead of just there. And let's find smart capital everywhere instead of just there. Make sure that venture is invested in uh, communities and demographics that have traditionally been overlooked. And, and from an industry standpoint, I would say agriculture has been largely overlooked as an opportunity as well. And so it's been really inspiring to work with an organization that takes that perspective and allows me the opportunity to give me the flexibility to A, work from Champaign and not San Francisco. And B, deploy capital communities and to founders that would otherwise not sort of check the boxes for people for whatever reason. And so it's been really inspiring to kind of see that level of commitment to make sure that that America is investing in, in our communities all over the country, in particular in the Midwest. At The Generator, how do you, how do you measure your success? Uh, it may be easier to measure the success of the startups that you're working yeah. with in some capacities yep. than your own success. So one of the things that um, we coach founders on, and I would say this is something that we do a pretty good job, it's advice that we give that we've also taken at Generator, which is we have a theory. 10 years ago, Generator had a theory that you could deploy capital in the Midwest. You could invest in female founders. You, you, could, you could invest across race, place, and gender, which has historically not been the case. If you take a look at venture capital portfolios, it's there's a kind of an abysmal track record in terms of investing across race, place, and gender. Generator kind of proposed that it doesn't have to be that way. So you're right that we 
evaluate our performance based on our fund performance. So in terms of what's our current portfolio worth and how much have we returned to investors using, and I, I'll, I'll skip all the venture capital jargon, but um, there are specific metrics that we use to look at that. And most simply, what's the current value of the portfolio and how much have we returned to investors given a certain period of time? And what's the what's the return rate on that? And Generator delivers cop quartile returns on our funds. Generator has been very capital efficient. Uh, it's been very efficient in providing capital to founders. We also have programs where we don't invest. Those programs, companies that go through those programs, have gone on to raise many multiples above what other comparable programs have delivered. And, and then, like I said before, our, our investments have, have performed at or above uh, top quartile uh, benchmarks. So what, the conclusion that we would draw is that our hypothesis has is sort of tested as being true uh, pretty emphatically, that in fact, you can um, set aside some of the more conventional criteria, founders that went to Stanford, companies that are based in San Francisco, funds that are based in San Francisco. And while we certainly will look at companies, when so we've you know, seriously considered companies. Uh, in fact, some of the companies we've invested in come from California. That's the point. Isn't stop doing that. It's more like, well, let's make sure that that isn't the only place, right? Because then we're, sure. there's risk that's involved in that. We're over concentrating yeah. in a particular place around a particular themes. So if we stop doing that, can can you stop doing that and still deliver um, top returns? And generators' evidence over the last ten years has been emphatically yes. You absolutely can. How can people connect with you? Yeah. So you can reach out via uh, email and it's my first name, Jack, J-A-C-K at generator, which is spelled a little differently. It's G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com. Um, and I'm happy to engage on, uh, you know, one of the initiatives that we're getting ready to spin up. Um, and so we're doing some early discovery. Now. This is very, very early. So I don't know what the end result would look at, but um, we do want to make it easier for startups with promising technologies to find farmers that are looking to better understand and and sort of interact with technologies that may be mainstream in three to five years. So farmers that are that that have the ability to pilot new technologies or use new technologies on their farm or even just engage with them, kind of know what's on the on the horizon. That's something that we're actively looking to try to build out a group of farmers that that are interested in that. And it's very much a two-way street. We're looking to be able to get feedback on the companies on what we're seeing to understand what the ultimate customer for many of these on-farm technologies, like what does that look like, both on the accelerator side and the data project side? Mm -hmm. Like how do we solve, we have, you know, there's opportunities in, in both of those. And mm -hmm. so always interested in um, connecting with producers in, in the Midwest. So that's, that's certainly something we're looking to do. And then also be able to provide feedback directly to the company. So we'll, I'm happy to, to, to interact with folks, but our, many of our companies are very interested in kind of getting the producer's point of view as well. Um, you know, that's a, that's a key part of what they do and it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. And so being able to connect them with folks that can provide useful feedback is, is also really valuable. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of By Association. Thank you to our guest, Jack Mark. Please follow along on the Illinois Soybean Association social media pages to stay up to date on everything we're doing to support the 43,000 soybean farmers we have in Illinois. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.